Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. You talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Hello everyone, my name is Ashley Collagen Blunt and I am here today doing a takeover episode for the fantastic Words and Nerds podcast from Danny V. So excited to be here and share another amazing book with you. I am the author of My Name is Revenge and How to Be Australian and I'm co-host of James and Ashley Stay at Home, a podcast about creativity, writing and health. But today, we're here to talk about Felicity McLean. Now, Felicity's debut novel, The Van Apfel Girls Are Gone, has been published all over the world. It was a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers pick in the U.S. and was shortlisted for the Indie Book Awards. Her book, Body Lengths, co-written with Olympian Lizelle Jones, was Apple Books' best biography of 2015 and won the 2016 Australian Book Industry Awards Reader's Choice for Small Publisher Adult Book of the Year. Her second novel, Red, a contemporary retelling of the Ned Stel- a contemporary retelling of the Ned Kelly story, came out in May this year, and that's what we're here to talk about. Felicity, welcome. Thank you, Ashley. It's so nice to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you here coming to us from your holiday in the UK, which is just so generous of you. Oh, we're so international Um, now, aren't we, with the program? Look at us go. It's amazing. Uh, So, Felicity, first off, before anything else, I want everyone to hear just the incredibly striking voice you've developed for this novel. So could you just read us a short excerpt? Sure. I'd love to. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to jump straight in, uh, and this is Ruby Red McCoy talking. But I'm not dead yet. No, I'm not going quietly. I'm here to set the record straight while I can. Yeah, I'm here to fill in a few gaps in my story, here to plug a few holes, don't you know? The kind of child who probably burned ants with a magnifying glass. That's how one newspaper described me. I never burned any ants with a magnifying glass and not with anything else either, but for the record, I could burn through a person with a single stare, yeah, just so that you're aware. It wasn't just my stare that got me into trouble at school. My mouth helped too, and sometimes my fists if it came to that, though most teachers got sick of my mouth long before they had a chance to get fed up with my fists. Why don't you come up here and teach the class if you think you can do a better job, they'd say, and I wouldn't skip a beat. Miss, teaching's a unionised workforce, I'd say. What, you want me to go around stealing union jobs? Have some honour. Why would you joke about that? Things I've been dared to eat and did. Chewed gum from the floor of the B55 bus to Edelong Beach. Copper sulphate crystals from the chemistry storeroom. 17 potato scallops from the fish and chip shop. A record. A cold cigarette stub. 
a warm band-aid. A year eight maths test torn into two centimetre squares each time the teacher turned to face the blackboard. The gherkins from nine McDonald's junior burgers after they were flung at the ceiling and fell to the floor and were scooped up and put in my burger. A fistful of potting mix. A litre of orange cordial, undiluted. A litre of red cordial, undiluted. A dollar coin, but I never swallowed that, only stuck it in my mouth for a bit because seriously, who can stomach her madge? Also, what a waste of a buck. Yeah, I might have walked away from a fight or three, but I never backed down from a dare. I had to mute myself while you were reading that list because I was just going to start laughing. It's just so, it's so good. Thank you so much for sharing that. Then I no, think that no. gives listeners, I think you've got a really great insight into Ruby Red McCoy already. So Felicity, Red is a retelling of the Ned Kelly story through this incredible character, Ruby, Ruby Red. Slightly Do you remember? <laughs> I mean, all kids are slightly gross, right? I was, I'm sure. Do you know my um, daughter, I was, when I was writing that list, my 10-year-old daughter uh, was sitting on the couch with me looking over my shoulder and got in on the action and started suggesting ideas and I was a little concerned about what sort of <laughs> child I was raising. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. That explains some of the authenticity. <laughs> have you have you ever drank undiluted cordial yourself? Yeah, I have to admit, I have on school camps. I've um, yeah, that one, that one's real. <laughs> All right, great. And not something I would recommend. <laughs> the sugar rush is that. Uh, yeah, it's not good. Be intense. Yeah, especially a leader of it. Yeah. Um, so, as a foreign-born Australian. Uh, I remember when I learned about Ned Kelly for the first time. And I'm wondering if mm-hmm. you remember when you first learned about Ned Kelly. Ah, oh, now that's a really interesting question. I don't because it seems to be so ingrained. Like it's such a cultural touch point for Australians. Um, what was your, I'm interested, what was your response when you first heard that, you know, this criminal was our our, our greatest cultural icon? I like how you're turning it around on me. I know you're, I know you're a, a very uh, accomplished interviewer who has interviewed all kinds of okay, really, intrigued. really big name authors. Um, yeah, no, I, I, well, first of all, I was very confused by the term bush ranger when I came here. I didn't get what that was. So I had to learn just oh, literally yeah. what the term meant and then also culturally what it meant. But yeah, Ned Kelly, it took me quite a while to sort of wrap my head around what Ned Kelly meant and why he was so celebrated. And when yeah. people ask me what the biggest difference between Canada and Australia is, I, I think our our cultural perspective on law and order is is probably the biggest because it if you compare Ned Kelly as a cultural icon to like one of Canada's biggest cultural icons, which is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, it's, yes. a, it's a big difference. Yeah. 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 yeah and we are. Um, but I that's... Mean- Oh, go ahead. We are really fascinated um, by Ned Kelly. I mean, I remember when we had the Sydney Olympics and we had, you know, wheeled out Ned Kelly. And it's a terrific story, but it's a funny, it's a funny person. It's a funny icon to hold up in mm. 2022 still. Um, and I went, I, I learned when I was researching this book, there are more books and songs about Ned Kelly and his gang than any other historical figures. Um, and Interesting. 
I just wondered why that was. Apparently in northwestern Australia, the Yarralan Indigenous people have incorporated Ned Kelly into a Dreamtime legend where Captain Cook takes Ned Kelly back to England and there his throat was cut. And so it, it's sort of this this person has infiltrated so many aspects of our culture and we don't really question why that is, what that says about us and how relevant that is for, I mean, how representative is Ned Kelly of who we are as a nation in 2022? So I think that's what I was interested to explore. Yeah, well, that was what I was going to ask. What drew you to this story for your second novel? Is that what it was, that you just like have had this curiosity about the iconography of Ned Kelly for all these years? Yeah, why are we still so intrigued by him? What does it say about us uh, as Australians? And more importantly, how would we feel if that Ned Kelly figure was a girl? So we love Ned Kelly because he's a rebel and he's a larrikin, that great, you know, Australian but very male term, larrikin. And if I created a sort of female Ned Ned Kelly character, would we still identify with her? Would we sympathise with an angry, feisty female? Uh, Would we judge her more harshly than the larrikin Ned Kelly? And how far could I push it? So as you see in that list, I, I just wanted to play around with how would we feel if that larrikin figure was a girl? Mm, and that's such a great point about the the larrikin figure being far more associated with with males and t- and twisting it around. That's so interesting. Okay, so the Gerald D letter. Oh, sorry, Gerald Derry. Ger- how do I say that? Yeah, it's really tricky. Gerildery, I think, is how they pronounce Gerildery. it. Yeah, okay. I know, and All I, right, great. I will for sure trip over it at least once during this podcast. Um, yeah, Gerildery okay, letter. Okay. So first of all, for any listeners who don't know, because I know we've got international listeners, what is the Geraldry letter? <laughs> That's such a hard to say. Yeah, yeah. The what letter. is that thing? What is that thing? <laughs> so Ned Kelly uh, had allegedly had his friend Joe Byrne write down this manifesto for him. So this was his public manifesto to the world, uh, his side of the story uh, about what had happened during his life and how he'd been persecuted by the police. And this was really, you know, him getting his story out there. And so we have this document uh, in the National Library and it is terrific. It is such a good read. It is, you know, this is an essentially uneducated farm boy who's written down exactly what he thinks about the police and about um, English people because, of course, he was from Irish stock and it is just this brilliant, um, lyrical, angry, amazing read. He's calling the police wombat-headed, splayed-legged, magpie-legged, like just these Adjectives are jumping off the page. It's a really fun, fun read. But the emotion and the passion and the vitriol behind it was a little bit of what I wanted to capture. So I really wanted to just sort of bottle that essence of, uh, you know, this is my chance to speak and I've got to get it all out in a rush and I have been oppressed and silenced for all this time and now it's my turn to talk and I'm not going to stop until I finish telling my side of the story. The National Museum of Australia actually has, you can read the original letter on their website, but they also have a voice actor reading it out. So you can actually listen to it. It's about half an hour long. Uh, and it begins with, 
I wish to acquaint you with some of the occurrences of the present, past, and future. And you've and you've really specifically drawn on this letter as a source of inspiration, as you were just describing. Can you just tell us a bit more about how you like you've taken some phrases from the letter and incorporated them into Red's own speech? Can you tell us a bit more? Yeah, so um, a couple of the phrases I were just really beautiful and I wanted to sort of nod to those. But um, so I think Ned Kelly talks about down where uh, he's talking about near the river the, where the ground was so rotten it would bog a duck, which I thought was terrific. Um, and let me just have a look. Where were this? Um, sorry, you might want to edit this teensy bit out. Um, yeah, that's all good. Uh, so yeah, Ned Kelly says, uh, I knew I'd get no justice if I gave myself up. And so Red, um, says, uh, things were too far gone for me to turn myself in now. Um, and I could have shot him without, uh, without trying. I was no murderer. I'd shoot myself before I killed in cold blood, which was when Ned Kelly points out, I could have shot those policemen at any point. Um, but their lives were no good to me. So, you know, he's just really... He points out all the injustices and the flaws in the police records, um, but he does it in this just brilliant, emotive, really colourful language, uh, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have Red's voice just be really um, emotive and angry, but also this um, sort of a celebration of some of the just beautiful or ridiculous or amazing phrases, the Australian slang that we use. Uh, so there's lots of that in there too because that's just fun. That's, you know, I had a lot of fun putting those sorts of things in. Oh, and that fun and energy is in the voice. Like it's all through the whole book. Like you've done a brilliant job of that. Thank uh, you. <laughs> so oh, you're very welcome. In a way, Red is an allegory about standing up to police corruption. So can you tell us about your personification of that corruption, which is Sergeant Healy? Ah, uh, yeah. So Sergeant Healy is uh, kind of a larger-than-life local police sergeant who has a real problem with Ruby's family, the McCoys, and she doesn't know why, but he seems to absolutely have it in for her dad, Sid, uh, and then also her personally. And as the story goes on, she learns uh, a little bit of the background. She learns that this vendetta against her family has been going on for more than just her generation and her dad's generation. It actually goes back to their grandparents. So she learns a bit of the family history, the personal histories. Um, but at the same time, Sergeant Healy is representative of what was going on at the time? So the book is set in the 90s, uh, just immediately before the Wood Royal Commission into Police Corruption in New South Wales. And so many of the stories that are sort of scattered through the book, the examples of police corruption, uh, so like, you know, planting evidence in people's homes and uh, planting drug money on people. And uh, there was a story about one police officer who had crashed his police vehicle into a tree when he was drink driving and then hid the evidence. And all these stories have actually, they've been, you know, changed and manipulated and everything for the for fiction. They've been fictionalised heavily. Um, but they're all, they've come from the Royal Commission, the Wood Report, into um, police corruption. So, so much of this was based originally in fact 
um, there was, you know, there was plenty of police corruption going on at the time. And Healy is pretty representative of this. Mm, I think that's another really interesting difference between Australia and Canada is when I moved here, I was surprised at how much police corruption was part of the culture and was talked about and was part of the history that you just needed to understand to understand the place. Because in Canada, at least in all the places I've lived in Canada, that isn't the case. And maybe there's as much corruption. It's just, you know, hasn't been, <laughs> hasn't been revealed to the public. Canadians yeah. are very good at keeping things quiet. So that could just be, that could be the only difference. Maybe you're just more law abiding than, than many Australians are. <laughs> maybe slightly. <laughs> as a kid, were you like Red? No. Not at all. That's why she was really fun to write. Um, I was very uh, quiet and bookish and, I mean, Red's a good reader, so she lists some of the things she likes to read. She reads anything she can get her hands on uh, and that's that's me. But, no, I was nowhere near as brave or uh, as wild as Red. I, I kind of wish I was. She was a lot of fun to write for that reason, nothing like me. <laughs> Yeah, and and that's what makes her so much fun to read. It's just like, wow, what is this kid going to do next? Like she's she's kind of amazing. (laughs) But I did sneak in. um, So she lists some of the books she likes to read. She says, you know, I'll read anything I can get my hands on, my dad's fishing magazines or whatever. Um, But I did list some of my favourites in there. So she reads like The Harp in the South and True Grit and um, The Well, Catcher in the Rye. Uh, I think she mentions Helen Garner's Children's Bark. So I slid some of my, you know, some of my favourites from when I was that age in there. But, yeah, otherwise she's nothing like me. <laughs> uh, I, I like that, like, just slight blending of autobiographical detail. That's just a really, really nice layering. That's perfect. Um, you've said that the book at its core is a love letter to the Central Coast, and you've spent your whole life going to the Central Coast. So tell us, tell us about the your relationship with the Central Coast. You weren't born there, were you? I wasn't, um, but so the Central Coast is about a two-hour drive north of Sydney, which is where I'm from. And my grandparents lived on the Central Coast in a little white weatherboard, like Red lives in. Uh, and so all of my memories of the Central Coast are basically school holiday memories, grandparent memories. So all the good stuff, all the fun stuff. So I associate it very much as an area of going to the beach, going down to the river to go fishing, uh, not wearing shoes for the summer, climbing trees, all that sort of stuff, all the good stuff. So that's what I associate with the Central Coast. Um, So it's an area I'm really familiar with, uh, especially that sort of period in the 90s. So it's the Central Coast I present in the book is very much fictionalized in terms of, you know, if you're a local and I've put the fish and chip shop on the wrong corner, don't write me a letter and let me know because <laughs> I, it's I, some of it will be deliberately wrong. Uh, but a lot of it's really true to life. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of fun remembering those holidays and that, you know, that time period when you're a kid and, Summer just stretched on forever and you had a lot of freedom. So that was fun. 
Mm, and you've compiled this incredible list of facts about the Central Coast that you can, uh, listeners, you can read at the Woods <laughs> and the Waves website. I'll, we will link to that in the show notes. Uh, but uh, can you just tell us, do you have a favorite a favorite fact you want to share with us about the Central Coast? Uh, do you know... Yes, so I went to the Words on the Waves Writers Festival recently, which is the first time I'd been, and it's a terrific festival uh, at your minor beach there. And they asked me um, for the opening night of the festival to talk about some of the research and the things I'd learned while I was writing my book. And that just sent me down this rabbit hole of amazing facts about the coast. I learned about uh, apparently there's a ghost, a hitchhiking ghost um, on one of the roads uh, near Nora's head and it's the ghost of a teenage girl who tragically was murdered there in the 70s, I think it was, and everybody talks about this ghost like it's fact, like, uh, you know, oh, yeah, of course, everybody's seen the ghost there and, um, you know, if you do pick up the hitchhiking go- ghost, she prefers to sit in the back seat, not the front seat and like I was just oh wow astonished like this is this is taken as fact which is awesome yeah yeah oh that's great it's like, like a really great little local yeah yeah just, yeah yeah all right well we'll link to that list of other facts because yeah they're all really interesting uh other than Ned Kelly and his unpronounceable letter yeah what yeah. books and authors influenced the style of red were there others? Ah, oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't think you can even approach or think about Ned Kelly without reading Peter Carey's True History of the Kelly Gang, which is mm. amazing and a terrific, terrific read. Uh, so that was definitely an influence, especially in terms of style, because that very much has that run-on sentences and that sense of urgency, even though it is much more historically accurate to the story and set you know it at the time it's it's a historical novel um so that was an influence I'm trying to think what uh do you know I read a lot of American westerns so um True Grit which I mentioned earlier that was an influence um I also loved going back to watch Blue Murder, the TV series, which is all about police corruption um, in the 90s. So that was good fun. That's a real rollicking watch. Uh, So, yeah, I'd say a real mishmash of things. Oh, fantastic. What do you hope that readers take away from the story of Red? Uh, Well, I hope they have a lot of fun with it. So I really... Having so Van Apfelgirls is a really kind of dreamy, ethereal, wafty novel, and having spent a lot of time writing that and then promoting that, I really wanted a change of pace. So I hope readers find this a change of pace. I hope they find it a bit of a rollicking, fun, you know, plot driven read. Um, but also on another level, I hope maybe readers will stop and think about how how we respond to angry women culturally or women that don't fit the mould or women that are opinionated. Um, You know, when I was coming to the tail end of editing this, Grace Tame, our Australian of the Year, stood up at the press club and was 
quite rightly furious and I just was in awe of her that day. I think she did such a terrific, terrific job. But the way that some of the press responded to that just made me stop and think like how in 2022 are we still, you know, thinking and talking about women in this way? Um, so, yeah, that you know, if people stop and think about that, that would be great too. That Yeah, and that last question, like how in 2022 are we still – thinking and talking about women. So I'm working on a book set in 2025, which is just sounds like, you know, so far in the future, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it, it will come out that year. So it's, it will be like, that will be, you know, it's just, that will be just the present when it comes out. Amazing. But, and I'm, and I'm, I'm writing about, you know, sexism and whatever. And part of my brain's like, but surely things will be better by then. Yeah. And the other part of my brain's like, what, like, why would they be? They're not better now. Like what's going to change in the next like three years? Nothing. That's so well, Hopefully not nothing. But I, I just, I think my brain's just like, it can't be that bad in 2025. And I'm like, but it's that bad in 2022. Exactly. So, like, yeah, yeah, it's just it's 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 so hard to wrap your mind around sometimes. Uh, but so red in the book is when these, you know, she's telling the story of her life building to certain events. We're not going to give any spoilers, but she's significantly younger than Ned Kelly was. Yes. Yes. He was he was a fully grown adult when everything went down with the police. Uh, if you don't know the Ned Kelly story, go read the true story of the the Kelly gang. Yeah, but um, yeah. So she's significantly younger. And was that? Do you think that was part of, in terms of, if she had been the same age as him, maybe it would have been harder for readers to empathize with her and relate to her. Yeah, that's a really good question too. So I. Ned Kelly was 14 when things started to, when I think when he had his first encounter with the police. And so okay. in my mind, Red is about that age or thereabouts. She's maybe about 15 or 16. But, yes, you're right. So Ned Kelly, by the time it really all goes down, he is much older. He's sort of in his into his 20s by then, whereas she's not. It all happens pretty quickly for her. And part of that was, yeah, part of that was making her, more vulnerable um, and thinking about what, you know, what sort of responsibility do we have as a society to protect people or to look out for, you know, whole cohorts of people. I don't want to touch on class because that, you know, that can be quite a tricky word for Australians. We don't like Mm. to talk about Mm. class. Apparently we don't have class structures but you know there are whole cohorts of people that can slip through the gaps underprivileged for all sorts of reasons how are we looking after our most vulnerable and so I think yeah by pitching her slightly younger I hoped we might yeah that might raise some questions around that about how we're looking after the the people in our societies that need it Oh, fantastic. I I think everybody should go out, get a copy of Red. It's incredible. The audiobook's also fantastic. The nar- narration's just really, really uh, gripping and engaging. Uh, Felicity, I have one last question for you. And this is this is something we do on uh, my podcast, James and National Stay at Home, but it's my favorite thing. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it over into into my takeover Excellent. here. Excellent. Which is which is to wrap up by asking you. What are you reading? Ah, so I have just literally just finished reading Cold Enough 
for snow, Jessica O's. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, second book, I believe, a novella, which is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and then my sister-in-law has just thrust into my hands this terrific, terrific book. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Uh, oh, so this yes. is Gwen, Gwen Kirby's Shit Cassandra Saw, which is a book of short stories. Uh, it's pitched as Margaret Atwood meets Buffy. It is awesome. And the first story in this collection is called Shit Cassandra Saw That She Didn't Tell the Trojans Because At That Point, Fuck Them Anyway which I think tells you all you need to know about this book. It's awesome. It's so oh, my great. gosh, that sounds, that sounds fantastic. And I also I read Cold Enough for Snow earlier this year, and it was yeah, just so gorgeous. Yeah. And it, uh, it's all set in Japan, and it really, you really feel like you're there traveling with the characters. It's a beautiful book. It really is, isn't it? It's oh, just beautiful. Oh, yes. All right. Well, Felicity, before we wrap up, I want to share, you and I are going to be on a panel. I'm, I'm chairing a panel. We are. Uh, at, yeah, at the Writers Unleashed Festival. Now, this is happening Saturday, September 3rd. From uh, It's a full-day festival, 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. at Trades Gaimia in Sydney South. And the panel that we are on uh, is called Subverting the Tropes, Women in Crime. And it features yourself, uh, Ray Cans, Petromella McGovern, and Anna Downs. And you'll be discussing centering women's stories and exploring female characters beyond the norm in crime fiction. And I think our conversation today has shown why you are so perfect for this panel and why I'm so excited to talk to you more about Red and your, and your writing of it. Uh, so go to the Writers Unleashed Festival and you can find tickets. We would love to see you there. We are going to have a ball that day, Ashley. I can't wait. Oh, I know. I feel, yes, I, I feel exactly the same because I have talked, I've now interviewed all, all four of you, Ray, Petronella, oh, wow. Anna. Uh, so I know, I, I just, I know your book so well and I know you guys and I'm just so excited to bring you together and hear what that conversation <laughs> is going to be like. It's, it's going to be great. So Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Felicity, so much for coming to us from your holiday. That's just so generous of you. Oh, thank you so and, much for having me. I've loved it, Ashley. And everyone, go and get a copy of Red. You're going to love it. You're going to fall in love with Ruby. She's just a fantastic character. And it is such, uh, as you said, it's it's so interesting to think about how we, how we understand the Ned Kelly story and how that could change if we just twist the details into... A new, a new version of that narrative. So thank you for bringing that to us, Felicity.